And we're back with another episode of The Anarchist Experience, episode 247, a.k.a. season 3, episode 67, uh, coming at you this holiday week. Uh, And as it is a holiday week, uh, you got Richie Rich here, flying solo, uh, because MC is out enjoying the holidays, on vacation, doing his thing, enjoying the life. Uh, And you, you know what that means. It's been a long time. We've gone a pretty good stretch of having you know the the multiple host show uh but now we're back to just me and you know what that means i'm lazy so we do another edition of richie rich reads the news just to get you guys some content um i I got my regular show prep here so we can go through that Um, but it also might be a time if i'm if i'm short on if i'm short on stories and long on time uh to hit some of the the stories in the past uh, maybe like a, a roundup, if you will, uh, some of the stories that I, I wanted to get to, but, you know, time permitting with the, the guests and the, the co-hosts and other stories that we've gotten into may not have gotten around to doing uh, because it is a podcast only show, uh, no live call in numbers. So you can skip all that nonsense. And we look forward to having MC back. Might not even be next week because why not keep the holidays rolling? Uh, but sometime soon, we'll get back to the, the regular schedule, the regular host, and the regular show. Uh, but for now, Richie Rich reads the news, and I'm going to jump right into it, um, because this is one that I wanted to do, I think, last week or the, or, or the week before. Um, I, don't, I don't even know how old it is at this point. But be, because we're rounding out 2019, this is the 10 worst state laws proposed and passed in 2019. So let's get into it. In April, Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex, proposed banning the popular video game Fortnite, saying it was irresponsible to allow his kids to play it. The game shouldn't be allowed, said the former bad boy prince. It's created to addict, an addiction to keep you in front of a computer for as long as possible. It's so irresponsible. Nobody, as far as I know, has yet proposed legislation to ban the popular game, which is played by 125 million people and reportedly generates $2 million in revenue per day. But the anecdote serves as a reminder of how cavalier humans tend to be about prohibiting things they personally object to. At different points throughout history, Americans have banned Christmas, alcohol, and bikinis. Other threats like comic books were not outright banned, but ruined through regulation. If you think silly and arbitrary bans are a thing of the past, think again. If anything, the impulse to ban and regulate has only increased in a world that has gotten much faster. These laws are usually proposed to serve a greater good or to protect people. Unfortunately, they usually miss the mark and often have adverse consequences. Here are a few of the worst laws proposed and passed in 2019 in no particular order. Number 10, Massachusetts lawmakers try to criminalize saying bitch. Uh, this one is proposed. So this one, this one did not go through as of yet. Uh, Massachusetts is looking to up the ante in the war on potty mouths. State Representative Daniel Hunt proposed legislation that would make it a crime to say the B word as my children would say, to accost, annoy, degrade, or demean someone. Those found guilty would face a $200 fine and up to six months in jail. Number nine, California's crackdown on the gig economy passed. Uh, I'm going to read through this little note, and then this might be 
we'll see how it goes, where we just stop and reflect for a moment on how dumb this law actually is. Uh, it reported 57 million Americans work as freelancers, adding an estimated $1 trillion to the economy each year in flexible gig work. That number is about to shrink, however. California lawmakers, in an effort to save us, passed Assembly Bill 5, which uses a complicated ABC test that redefines many gig workers as full-time employees. Unsurprisingly, many companies cannot take on swaths of new full-time employees who would become eligible for numerous benefits, though thousands of workers lost jobs, including 200 workers let go by Vox Media a week before Christmas. Three months earlier, Vox had called the legislation a victory for workers everywhere. That's what economists call a cobra effect. So this particular one is is specifically egregious because it it gets in the way of the working like A B relationship uh, in a way that you know taxes don't right. Like you work, you get a job, you get paid. Uh, the state, the government feds, whatever, take some of your money uh, from your paycheck through taxation, yada, yada, yada. We all know how that goes, right? And that's, I'm not saying that that's okay. I'm just saying that that part is acceptable. But this, this California crackdown uh, prevents people from working on their own for themselves, right? As contractors uh, in the best sense of the word, right? You know, you, you know, for, 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 um, uh, writers and, and Uber drivers and whatever. It's like you you work when you want for how long you want uh, and you get paid basically whatever you feel like earning based on the work that you put in, right? If, you, if, you, if, you, if you're doing articles for a, a magazine, right? It's, you know, w- uh, money per word or money per letter or however that works out. Uh, so the longer article you write, the better the article gets reviewed, whatever, the, the more chances you are of getting picked up again. Uh, Uber drivers, right? You, you, you finish your regular shift uh, as a waiter or whatever, and you fire up the old Uber. Uh, you, f- you finish your regular shift uh, at the retail establishment, and you fire up the Uber, and you go out and drive for a few hours and, and do whatever you can in whatever time you're, you allow yourself, right? But if you never turn off the meter, uh, you just continue to make money as long as you're driving people around. Uh, we talked to a gentleman on our, our recent trip, and, you know, it was like, uh, why? what time is it? It was like 6 o'clock in the morning or something like that. When it was 7.30 in the morning. Um, and we was like, oh, so you must just be getting started, right? He was like, no, working all night, right, from the airport, to and fro, here he goes, right? Started at like 10 o'clock the night before, had no plan on stopping anytime soon, just that's when he wanted to work. That's when he figured he could make the most money. Uh, and, and so that's what he did. Right. And then you go to California, they go, Nope, can't do that. Gig economy crack down. You have to be a regular employee of, you know, I'm sure Uber and some of the other places got exemptions to it. Uh, but for the ones that didn't right? they go, Nope, you have to be a regular employee. You're not allowed to set your own hours. You're not allowed to work when you want. You're not allowed uh, to have this uh, additional source of income right? As, as many people are around the world are struggling, uh, despite, despite some news that, you know, everything's getting better. There are people out there still struggling and they just say no. And so, you know, Vox media, um, you know, like the article says, called a victory for workers everywhere, because finally all these poor independent contractors, these lowly gig economy workers who had a whole bunch of freedom and autonomy in their jobs at the expense 
right, of getting a regular job or at the cost of getting a regular job and all the benefits that go with it, mostly because they felt that they could do better on their own uh, as independent contractors, as gig workers, a victory for workers everywhere. Now that now they would have the job of, the, of their dreams, they could continue to do what they wanted, uh, and the big company would have to pay them uh, benefits as well, right? And so, what does that what does that uh, organization do? The the victory for all workers ever, two hundred workers let go, like the week before Christmas, right? Uh, the the timing piss poor, right? But but can you blame them? Right? If they're not, if the alternative is to, you know, employ all these people uh, and then, you know, go bankrupt because the profits and revenue don't allow for that type of uh, worker uh, management, you know, uh, company worker relationship. Uh, no, you just let them all go. And now what are you going to do? And I think some of them, right, the, some of the independent contractors are like just exodusing from the state. They're just moving to like Texas and Nevada and Oregon and Washington uh, because if their job doesn't require them to be in California, right, then if they're out of California, the law doesn't apply to them and they can continue to be independent contractors and gig workers, uh, even for these media outlets who happen to be based in California. Because, hey, why not? Right. If you're if you're if you're an independent journalist working out of Oregon or Texas or whatever, Nevada, like I said, uh, you can still collect your payment for your words per per article or however, <laughs> again, however that works. Uh, and you don't have to worry about stupid California crackdown on the gig economy. So this one, particularly egregious, especially if you're uh, a friend of workers or a workers' rights advocate or anything to do with, you know, rising up against the man and management and all that other nonsense, uh, big time state getting in the way of that one. Number eight, Florida's Cutting Edge Anti-Hazing Act passed. Uh, hazing is said to go all the way back to ancient Greece, where Plato wrote of practical jokes played by unruly young men at his academy. It's not uncommon today to see young people get carried away with th this tradition. However, one such case can be found in Andrew Coffey, a Florida State University pledge who in November 2017 died after excessive drinking. In response, Florida lawmakers passed what has been described as the most cutting-edge anti-hazing law in the U.S. Though no doubt well-intentioned, the law allows prosecutors to charge people who weren't even present for a hazing, but were simply involved in its discussion. It's not difficult to see how an accidental tragedy could end up ruining even more lives. Uh, and interject again, I'll bet they charge that up to some sort of conspiracy charge where like you were there, you were part of the planning, you concocted the idea, and therefore you are solely responsible uh, for the result, uh, leaving, leaving nothing to the individual, right? This is supposed to be individual rights, uh, uh, personal responsibility, all that fun stuff, right? If, you, if, if, if getting into that uh, fraternity or sorority is so important to you, well, maybe there's risks involved, right? Uh, but if, if being alive and being healthy, uh, maybe, maybe you don't partake in some of the most dangerous ones, and God forbid you don't get into the frat uh, because you, just, you, you chose your life and your health uh, above it all. So, yes. And, and again, charging people who are just, you know, especially in like a frat house, right? You just happen to be like, you know, making a sandwich in the kitchen uh, while, they're doing, while they're doing all their planning. And you were part of the discussion. And all of a sudden, it's your fault uh, that some freshman uh, overdrank, 
uh, either liquor or water, right? Because there was the case of too much water going down the hatch, uh, causing causing a death there. So it's not even the alcohol. Uh, if 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 water in 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 large enough quantity can kill you, then I'm going to say just about anything can. Uh, so be wary of that. Uh, but people who who aren't uh, using force or coercion or physical violence or threats thereof to, to anyone uh, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't belong being prosecuted uh, for anti-hazing when they had uh, nothing real to do with it. Number seven, Alabama's Anti-Roge Rage Act passed. Wow, there's like three of the four so far passed. Uh, nobody likes slow left lane driving. I'm on the record saying it's my worst pet peeve. But Alabama's Anti-Roge Rage Act law, uh, excuse me, a- Alabama's Anti-Roge Rage law, which prohibits drivers from driving in the left lane for more than a mile and a half without passing, is hardly the solution. Uh, drivers are more than capable of policing slow drivers through the usual means. Excessive horn beeping, silent cursing, and arm waving. The stiff fines, up to $200 a pop, will likely fall on unsuspecting out-of-state drivers and be little more than a cash cow for police. And interjecting again, I will agree, uh, the left lane driving uh, is one of my pet peeves as well. Um, less so here, because I've, I've converted uh, into a right lane driver, for the most part. But I did have a, a discussion uh, some months ago uh, with, with an acquaintance. Uh, and he gave me the only valid reason I've heard for, you know, permanent left lane driving. Uh, and that is to have the tactical firing advantage from the left lane, right? Like to, to me, that's it. It's a, it's, it's terrible courtesy, uh, to, to continue on in the left lane if you're not passing or, you know, speed, like a lot of places will have, uh, you know, the rule that says like, you know, slow traffic move over or slow traffic yield or whatever. Uh, and by definition, if, if someone catches up to you in the left lane, uh, you are the slower traffic and should yield the right of way, right? In some places, you know, the, the law mandates, uh, that you, you move over or be out of the way or, you know, only used for passing or stuff like that. Uh, and whereas, whereas I don't agree that there should be a law, I kind of agree with uh, what the law says, which is, you know, uh, everything moves more efficiently. Uh, if you use, you know, one lane for passing and one lane or two other lanes or whatever other lanes there are, uh, for regular driving, right? That way everyone goes the speed that they want. And when they catch up to someone going slower, there's a spot to go around and then you move back in and continue on at the speed you were going prior, right? Or, you know, as fast as you want to go. So I'm not, I'm not in favor of any laws. Um, but I, I, you know, I do like the idea of people driving courteously, uh, and I wouldn't, you know, advocate for, uh, fines or suspensions, you know, just like the, like it says horn beeping or unsafely going around them, right? They make everything more dangerous in the way you have to pass them. Uh, but the one, the one excuse that I've heard is, you know, uh, if you're already in the left lane, someone can't drive up next to you, uh, and pop you from, 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 from the left side, right? You'll, you'll always have at least the cover of the passenger or the passenger door, whatever else you have blocking your side on the right side there, uh, to, to return fire, uh, or, you know, to, to gain the, the tactical advantage in a, in a, in a, in a gunfight on the road. Uh, but other than that, uh, it's, it's nonsense. And even if that were true, I wonder how many, 
uh, situations like that occur? Like when was the last time someone just rolled up on somebody in, in the in the in the right lane, right? Like they were in the right lane, just minding their own business, driving along, and you know for for no good reason, right? Just someone just pulled up and started blasting on them, right? To me, that's such a, a slim <laughs> it's such a slim chance of ever occurring that I can't I don't even I don't even think it's uh, even remotely possible that that'll ever happen in my lifetime. And so for me, um, I just drive in the right lane. Right, you know, I, I, I do if and I, if I come up to somebody uh, going slower than me, I use the left lane. I go around. I move back in. No big deal. No fuss. No muss. And if more people did that, uh, if more people did that, then you wouldn't need laws like this, right? It's it comes, it's it's another one of those odd situations, right? Where uh, if you did it right the first time, they wouldn't have to pass a law to set you straight, right? Um, that, that that's coming up here in New Hampshire. I think we, we've talked about this before with the with the changing of the uh, exit numbers, right? The Fed the Feds are mandating that the exit numbers be uh, changed to mile markers instead of sequentially numbered exits. And I go, well, yeah, kind of. You know, it should be like that. I I wouldn't force it on anybody. I'm not saying we should spend federal money on it, or that we need to spend state money at the at the Fed's behest on it. Man, but if you did it right the first time, yeah, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, so if everyone were to drive more courteous, courteously uh, and more, be more friendly on the road, uh, you don't they, then these issues wouldn't come up, right? Uh, let's let's not give them a reason to pass laws since that's what they're looking to do anyway. Let's just be cool with each other, and we don't have to worry about it. Moving on, number six, Pennsylvania's violent video game tax proposed. Phew. Because what will the world be like with less violent video games? Uh, kind of like you know, ending Fortnite, like the, the preview article, preview of the article. Early in 2019, a bipartisan group of Pennsylvania lawmakers floated one of the silliest proposals of the year. A 10% tax on video games rated mature or adults only. The bill was a transparent cash grab and went nowhere in the legislature. Wow, lucky break there. The legislation's poor showing was probably less uh, attributable to the dubious link between video games and violence and more to stiff opposition from the $43.5 billion gaming industry. Either way, the episode affirmed Gideon J. Tucker's famous axiom, no man's life, liberty, or property are safe when the legislature is in session. Uh, And uh, video games have been a scapegoat uh, for decades now right like we've, since since the 70s 80s depending on when they really got popular uh you know and and the violence and and the the uh the attrib- attribution to the delinquency of children right you can't get away from it hopefully uh we'll get some you know gamers moving up the ranks with this this will be a, an end to the nonsense right where's all where's all the atari people now like shouldn't they be in the legislature uh at some point somewhere I know I'm not an in-the-system guy, but some there's got to be one somewhere going like, yeah, we, we really can't do this. This was our generational thing. And maybe, you know, with the popularity of Fortnite and its 125 million players, uh, a few of those will put an end to that uh, in the near future. But notwithstanding, uh, video games, always a target. Uh, man, what was that lawyer's name? Jack something or other who just, you know, wanted to end it. Uh, you know, rock and roll music and video games. Like till the end of time, uh, will be will be a target of those looking to control the lives because there's just something cool 
about those two things. Uh, you know, the violence in the video games and the rock and roll music that just, you know, gets, gets the people who want to control you, uh, gets like something up their ass about that. They just like, no, you know, this, this goes against common decency and standards and therefore we must put an end to it. But no, I say play your violent video games. Uh, and as long as you know the difference between video game violence, movie violence, you know, music violence, uh, and the real thing, you'll probably be okay. Number five, California's ban on single-use shampoo bottles passed. Oh, man, good thing we did not vacation in California because they are just fucking ridiculous at this point. Uh, Anyone who has traveled is familiar with the little bottles of shampoo, conditioner, and lotion hotels provide their guests. Well, you won't find them in California much longer. In October, Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill that will ban Starting in 2023, well, I guess I got a few more years. Hotels from supplying the little bottles as part of an effort to use less plastic. Violators will be fined $500 for their first offense and up to $2,000 for additional violations. Meanwhile, as lawmakers wage war on tiny shampoo bottles, the Golden State continues to struggle with human excrement problem that has resulted in a surge of typhus. Okay, I'll admit, that's a low blow uh, by the author right? It's, it's a shot that has nothing to do with what they passed, but it highlights that, uh, if you, if you're going to believe in the state, right, they, they have legitimate problems that they might as well address as long as they're going to do something, uh, and maybe not focus so much on tiny shampoo bottles at hotels or single use plastics in general, right? I mean, how ridiculous is it, uh, you know, to, to have that, um, at all, right? My, and my plastic pet peeve is always the straws. Uh, and so we were at a Starbucks uh, and, you know, uh, someone who I was with, an acquaintance, if you will, uh, got the little sippy cup lid on his Starbucks. And I had n- no idea, like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, like, well, obviously you can't have a straw uh, to put in the little thing. I'm like, well, just, you know, he's like, is that true? I'm like, well, not here, bro. Just go grab a straw and stick it in the little sippy cup hole. Uh, and use even more plastic, right? Because the uh, the articles that came out was that the sippy cup lid used more plastic than the normal lid and straw combined. Uh, and now you're going to put in a straw on top of that because why the hell not? And I don't care. Every one of those people that says like, oh, now I just drink it like a man. Who cares, man? Sometimes having a lid and a straw is convenient uh, when you're walking around. So I don't I don't disparage anyone for using it. Um, and I don't like the paper straws because they give off a weird taste and they start to melt in your drink. So I will take and use a plastic straw uh, as much and as often as I goddamn well please. And uh, much like the, you know, the plastic bag bands that happen where all of a sudden you need to use more of the thicker ones uh, or people use the thicker ones anyway or pay for it or whatever. It's just it's just a tax uh, on the consumers to use, and it doesn't really do anything to help out with the environment. Uh, and those people who are actually doing something for the environment, like, you know, finding bacteria that eats plastic or finding ways to scoop that shit out of the ocean, uh, those articles like buried on the back of page six, right? No one cares. No one notices uh, about the entrepreneurial business endeavors of people actually looking to uh, do something for the planet. It's just people who want to be controlling, controlling little plastic straws and little plastic shampoo bottles uh, going forward. 
Number four. Oh, and this is this is not even uh, number four. Virginia raises the smoking age to 21, passed, uh, and then now nationwide, right? Like, yeah, now the whole United States of America is age 21 smoking. Smoking is bad for you. Don't take it from me. It says right there on the pack, Surgeon General's Morning. Smoking causes lung cancer, heart disease, emphysema, and may complicate pregnancy. Despite the warning, an estimated 34 million adults smoke. That's their choice. That's their choice, right? Well, Virginia lawmakers took it upon themselves to prevent young adults, 18 to 20, from legally purchasing cigarettes. The law amounts to little more than a condescending intrusion into the lives of young people since they'll just have a friend purchase their smokes for them. But it's still annoying, especially since many of these people are legally obligated to sign up for selective service uh, or the draft or the military uh, if, if you're not familiar with what selective services is. And yes, they will find someone uh, b- because for a long time, I was that someone. And in true black market fashion, right, uh, I charged the commission for my services. Uh, and I'll, I'll throw this out there again. If you know, Now that's a nationwide thing. Uh, if you know me and are an earshot of my voice and need someone to buy you smokes uh, for a, a tiny little percentage, regular commission, uh, I will take care of you. I will get them for you. I will sell them to you secretly, uh, and I will take the care. Same with alcohol, right? I've I've been the supplier uh, of alcohol for underage friends for years, uh, earning a, a healthy commission because they weren't allowed to purchase it themselves. So none of that, none of that stops uh, the underage smoking or underage drinking or underage vaping from actually occurring. All it does is drive it underground and make it more expensive uh, for them to get hold of. So just wait um, for the black market cigarette, mar- you know, to pop up again in a lot of these places. Um, and again, I'm not a big fan of the military, but as long as we're going to use that argument, uh, let's do it. All right? You, you know, you're 17, 18, you sign up for the military. You're in, uh, they, they hand you a firearm, but you can't smoke a cigarette, right? Or for those people in the 18 to 20 year old range now, right? You've been in the military for one to two years, uh, and you were fine buying your smokes on your own. Uh, and all of a sudden you got to get your, your, you know, your platoon buddy to get your smokes for you because well, the law got passed and now you're not allowed to smoke them anymore. Right. Go off to the fire fields in Afghanistan and Syria and, you know, Iraq, Iran, wherever they're sending them now, Korea, Japan, uh, wherever the troops are stationed. now, Go off to fight the wars or protect the poppy seeds or do whatever. Uh, but don't light up a cigarette, bro, because that's just they having that. You know, we have to take care of your long term health, uh, provided you don't get shot while you're out there at war. So again, not supporting the war, not supporting the military, but as long as we're going <laughs> to, as long as that's going to be on the table, let's be realistic about when it's okay to smoke and drink. Um, and I also want to say it's probably a little bit insidious as well. Um, and I wonder how long it'll take for them to bump that age up again, right? Cause it wasn't always 18. Um, and in some places it's still not right. Uh, Canada, Europe, um, the drinking age is still a lot lower. Uh, I think 14 in some places in Europe, 18 in Canada. So Americans, especially when I was in college, you know, under 21, go to Canada for the long weekend, get drunk, do whatever, come back, no big deal. Um, And now you have to do that again for smokes and for cigarettes until they move that bar again, 
right? Like the, the bar has been moved a number or driving too, right? Like you, you could, you know, when I was, when I was getting my license, I had my permit at 15 and there were people who could get it younger than that, right? You could have your driving permit and your license with special exception, at like 14 years old, no problems. Um, and then that, and that keeps pushing. So I wonder how long till the driving age gets bumped up to 21 to be in alignment with everything else being an adult means to be. Uh, and I wonder until how far they, they push that limit even further out there, right? 25, 27, 30, whatever it happens to be, uh, you know, it's around the corner. It may take a while, right? The people have to get acclimated to this. This has to become the norm. And then boom, they move it again because that's what they do. <clears throat> All right. Three and two. <clears throat> Another terrible idea uh, from California and Oregon passed statewide rent control laws. Uh, economists disagree on a lot of things, but they pretty much all agree on this. Rent control is really harmful. In many cases, rent control appears to be the most efficient technique presently known to destroy a city, except for bombing, observed Swedish economist and socialist Asar Lindbeck. Alas, new laws in Oregon and California, the first of their kind, show how little politicians understand about economics. The caps on rent are sure to further reduce housing supply and quality and increase housing prices in the long run. California's housing problems are well documented. Unfortunately, they're about to get a lot worse, as Fee has observed the solution to high housing costs is more housing, not price control. And the more housing, people always are wanting more low-income housing for, you know, those poor people who just can't afford it, uh, which is fine if that's where the incentives are. And a lot of times, you know, the incentives are skewed uh, in such a way that developers will only do the low-income housing uh, if it's subsidized by the state in some way, right? Like the, the market for that may not exist, uh, but more housing, right, you know, the, the wealthy people will... If they want to buy that new new and improved luxury housing, we'll have to vacate uh, their current dwelling, maybe rent it out, maybe sell it, who knows. Uh, but more housing in general will bring the prices down across the board uh, instead of just rent control, right? Because when you, when you do the rent control, uh, like the article says, uh, prices go up, supply goes down. Uh, people who would previously have rented out their places just don't, right? They either, they either sell it or they just keep it vacant. Uh, so how long until they're forced against their will to rent out? I think there were some some places already doing that, right? You, you can't have a, a, a house or a storefront vacant for longer than a, whatever period of time uh, before <laughs> before the city takes it over. Uh because it's not economically viable, right? If you, if you can't get if you can't get your money back um, in rent on the house, or the cost of doing it is to, the the cost of maintenance is higher than the rent that you can get, well then you just don't rent it, right? And then people people are looking for houses, then they'll come back and say like, look at all these vacant houses that could be could be ho home housing the homeless, uh, and these these greedy capitalists won't rent it out. Well, it's because you got rent controls in place. Right? Maybe they can't afford it. Maybe they can. Um, but if you put the rent control, then, you know, again, they, they just won't do it uh, and you'll be screwed. Finally, number one. Uh, luckily, oh, finally, just another proposed one. California's water tax proposed. 
Uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom has the unfortunate distinction of making the list a fourth time. Yes. Uh, and, and you wonder why there's an exodus in California. Uh, Newsom's water tax, a proposal he ultimately withdrew, was perhaps the strangest. As Carrie Wedler noted on fee earlier this year, the environmental protection section of Newsom's budget sought to, quote, establish a new special fund with a dedicated funding source from new water, fertilizer, and dairy fees to enable the State Water Resources Control Board to assist communities, particularly disadvantaged communities, in paying for the short-term and long-term cost of obtaining access to safe and affordable drinking water. Ensuring citizens have clean water is a noble goal, to be sure, but the best means, but the means are highly questionable. Utilizing markets is the best way to address water shortages, not passing new taxes. Uh, Newsom's proposal, which sparked sharp pushback from his own party, is sort of like passing a food tax to make sure people don't go hungry. Uh, end of the article. I don't have really much to say about that last one. Number one, because it was proposed, and uh, number two, like really, uh, you know, uh, more government bureaucracy uh, surrounding water. Uh, kind of reminds me of the people like getting mad at Nestle because they 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 pump the water uh, and then sell it back to you. Like people are going, people are going thirsty, and there's droughts everywhere, and Nestle's allowed to pump for free from the public from the public water source. Well, yeah, because it's public. Right, right. You're getting on their case for using public water. Um, why not? Right. If, if they're allowed to, um, there was another article that I read that I don't think I didn't pull it up as show prep, but it was like the, the, uh, where Ayn Rand went wrong. And it was the, the conclusion was basically that she assumed business, uh, entrepreneurs and business owners like had the people's best interest in mind. Right, and the the article listed a couple of examples of how uh, businesses use these the regulations of the state uh, to prevent competition. I go, well, yes, right. Like that's I don't know why you would assume that they want to do good, right? The whole thing is they the they they do what serves their be- their their own self interest, and the reason we favor a capitalist economic structure, at least on this show. Uh, is because the capitalist economic structure, absent the state intervention, uh, forces people to look towards the good of the consumer uh, when trying to serve themselves, right? The only way to serve themselves is to serve other people uh, and do it through voluntary exchange, right? But when you introduce the idea of the state and state rules and state regulations, uh, that introduces, you know, the, the a mechanism for them to get their own without serving other people. And that's bad. So you eliminate the state, you eliminate that mechanism. And will some try uh, to serve themselves at the expense of others? Uh, Absolutely. But they will fail. uh, Because the ones serving others are the ones that will benefit uh, from the from the consumers being served uh, to the point where they're the ones that will succeed. So no, I don't I don't think businesses, uh, businesses outside of a state environment can do that um, and you don't need special regulations or special funds dedicated funding source from new water and fees to enable the you know to the, to enable the state water resources control board to assist communities particularly disadvantaged right if you if you allow the market mechanism to do its thing uh, everyone gets served and everyone gets served at you know what would be considered uh, a reasonable price or affordable price because hey even low-income people get by somehow. 
moving on. Next article. Uh, why Marx was against individual rights. Uh, people are unequal in abilities and circumstances, and because of this, attempts to make them equal by force will inevitably violate their rights to live in freedom. If people have rights, unequal outcomes will result, and trying to impose, e impose equality will violate their rights. It's as simple as that. Murray Rothbard, in Egalitarianism as a Revolt Against Nature, states the point in this way. An egalitarian society can only hope to achieve its goals by totalitarian methods of coercion. And even here, we all believe and hope the human spirit of individual man will rise up and thwart any such attempts to achieve an ant-heap world. In short, the portrayal of an egalitarian society is horror fiction, because when the implications of such a world are fully spelled out, we recognize that such a world and such attempts are profoundly anti-human. Being anti-human in the deepest sense, the egalitarian goal is therefore evil, and any attempt in the direction of such a goal must be considered evil as well. Karl Marx agreed with Rothbard that individual rights lead to inequality. For him, though, this was an argument against rights. Uh, because he believed that capitalists exploit labor, you might have expected that, for a socialist society, he would support the equal rights of all laborers to the product of their labor. In fact, he did not. In comments written in 1875, sent to Wilhelm Brock, uh, who had asked his opinion on the draft program of the United Workers' Party of Germany, meeting at a congress in Gotha, Marx made clear his opposition to rights. His comments were not published at the time, but only after his death. The key to Marx's argument against individual rights is in this passage from his critique of the Gotha program. The right of the pr producers is proportional to the labor they supply. The equality consists in the fact that measurement is made with an equal standard, labor. But one man is superior to another physically or mentally and supplies more labor in the same time, or can labor for a long time, and labor to serve as a measure must be defined by its duration or intensity. Otherwise, it ceases to be a standard of measurement. The, this equal right is an unequal right for unequal labor. It recognizes no class difference because everyone is only a worker like everyone else. But it tacitly recognizes unequal individual endowment, and thus productive capacity as a natural privilege. It is therefore a right of inequality in its content like every right. Right, by its very nature, can consist only in the application of an equal standard. But unequal individuals, and they would not be different individuals if they were not unequal, are measurable only by an equal standard insofar as they are brought under an equal point of view, are taken from one definite side only, for instance, in the present case, are regarded only as workers and nothing more is seen in them, everything else is being ignored. Further, one worker is married, another is not, one has more children than the other, and so on and so forth. Thus, with equal la uh, with Excuse me. Thus, with an equal performance of labor, and hence an equal in the social consumption fund, one will in fact receive more than another. One will be richer than another, and so on. To avoid all these defects, right, instead of being equal, would have to be 
unequal. What does Marx mean in this rather dense passage? His fundamental thought is this. If each person has an equal right to what he produces by his labor, this will lead to unequal outcomes. My labor might not be worth as much as your labor. This fact sets people against each other. People look at society from the viewpoint of their own interests and the interests of their family. This is a bourgeois idea. In a true socialist society, people are devoted to each other's welfare and do not view each other as rivals. Rights, accordingly, are obsolete verbal rubbish. In a famous passage, Marx tells us what a society without such antagonisms between people would be like. Quote, In a higher phase of communist society, after the enslaving subordination of the individual to the division of labor, and therewith also the antithesis between mental and physical labor has vanished, after labor has become not only a means of life, but life's prime want, after the productive forces have also increased with the all-around development of the individual and all the springs of cooperative wealth flow more abundantly, only then can the narrow horizon of the bourgeois right be crossed in its entirety and society inscribed on its banners. From each according to his ability to each according to his needs. In other words, once the division of labor is abolished and production is planned, abundance will arise. Then people will regard themselves as members of one happy family. It is more than a little strange that someone in the grip of this fantasy had the nerve to denounce many of his rivals as utopian socialists. Uh, Marx's comments do contain one valuable idea. Today we are inundated by propaganda from the left that justifies high taxes and redistribution of wealth on the ground that the well-off would have gotten nowhere without the help of society. Isn't the government acting in the name of society, entitled to take away some of this wealth? Uh, Marx, of course, supported high taxes on the wealthy, but he had no truck for this nonsense. He said, a fine conclusion, if useful labor is possible only in society and through society, the proceeds of labor belong to society. And only so much therefrom accrues to the individual worker as not required to maintain the condition of labor, society. In fact, this proposition has at all times been made use of by the champions of the state of society prevailing at any given time. First comes the claims of the government and everything that sticks to it, since it is the social organ for the maintenance of the social order. Then comes the claims of the various kinds of private property, for the various kinds of private property are the foundations of society, etc. One sees that such hollow phrases are the foundations of society, etc. One sees that such hollow phrases can be twisted and turned as desire. Marx had a keen eye for nonsense, except when he himself was writing it. End of the article. Every once in a while, we have to recap the nonsense that is Marx. Uh, just in case some of y'all hadn't heard it, or because the commies who disagree uh, don't have the sack to, to call in and discuss. So we just go ahead and cover it anyway, and they can bitch about it later on social media. Um, I'm always intrigued by the difference or the, the, the perceived fight of uh, the proletariat and the bourgeois or the workers and the corporation uh, and, and those things. Because to me, 
when I hear that from the commies, you know, the wage slaves, uh, the, the workers who don't get paid their productive value, uh, all I can all I can think to myself is all they really need to do is change their perspective on things, right? If they could if they could find a way to change their mindset uh, and take responsibility for their situation rather than make excuses uh, for their situation and blame others for their situation, um, then then they would be in control and would have the capacity to change their situation. And what I mean by that, um, specifically for the workers, because, you know, I, I do this podcast, but I also, I'm a regular, you know, average, normal, everyday employee. Um, but I don't, I don't look at myself as like a victim to management, right? Like they, they pay me what we agreed to, because when I evaluated the job, um, I said like, yeah, I'll do it for that much. Right, like the, the the amount of the amount of labor and effort and work uh, that has to go in uh, to you know to 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 get the job done, well, I, yeah, I'll I, I'll do it for that much. Uh, and you know when they when they come to me and ask for something above and beyond, well, then we have to discuss, right? I don't I don't automatically say yes. Uh, I may do it initially, right? Like you know for you know for the first few months or so, I did a lot uh, out of the goodness of my heart just to you know. To, to build up a reputation as a team player and so on and so forth, to be well-liked, why not? Um, but, you know, with that comes, you know, the, the expectation that I'm going to get paid more later, right? Now, now that we've established like a baseline for my skill set and what I can do, let's talk about what else I can do for you and how much more I should be, you know, be compensated for what I can do above and beyond what we originally discussed, Right. Um, and the, the example, I don't know if we, if I talked about this, uh, on air for this was just a private conversation at this point. Uh, but we had, you know, like Christmas cards to send out, uh, to all of our customers of which, uh, my particular facility, I've got like 500 of them. Um, and you know, so we're trying to figure out like how to, how to label all these envelopes for these Christmas cards. Um, and my boss who was working at another facility that has like, you know, a hundred and some odd, uh, customers said like she hand wrote them all right? Oh yeah. I just, I had nothing else to do. So I hand, this is my boss now. I hand wrote all the envelopes to, to go out. And I went, yeah, well, I'm not going to do that. Right. Just, you had a hundred some odd. I got 500. I can find a faster, better way, you know? So I, I explained the faster, better way for her to do it. She was amazed, amazed balls, right. By how, how that could be done in such a quickly, timely fashion. Um, and then when I, you know, when she was at another facility and trying to explain it to another uh, older coworker, I guess, who, who, you know, at her facility, um, I spent like 45 minutes on the phone walking them through the process uh, to, to do their labels for, you know, their 300 some odd uh, customers, right? And then when I was done with that, it, it took me all of like five to 10 minutes to get mine done, right? Like, ah, I know what I'm doing, done this before. Maybe it's difficult to explain on the phone when you can't see what other people are doing on the computer. And tick, 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 tick. Uh, but for me, not too much trouble at all. Five to 10 minutes, done. Got it all done. You know, everything done within like a day because I'm efficient, right? So it's not that I get I get paid for my labor. Uh, I also get paid for my efficiency, right? Like I, I've got to be there anyway um, so I can I can be there and do a lot more 
uh, or I can do what I'm instructed to do and what I get paid to do in a short amount of time, giving me free time to, to explore other things, right? And whatever those other things may be. Um, and if, you know, if, if such a time comes where, you know, they go, wow, you're really quick. We need you to do more. Well, then we can have the discussion, right? About how much more I'm going to get paid. Um, the only other time that that has come up is uh, a long time ago. I was, uh, at working for, uh, uh, like a health club. Um, uh, and I, I was uh, the mild mannered towel boy, right? That was it. I just, I, I filled up the waters and I did laundry and fold the towels and I was only there for a couple hours a day. Um, and that was it. It was like, you know, secondary part-time job and eh, whatever, a couple hours here, a couple hours there, no problem. Um, but I got paid, you know, for the, for that couple hours. And, and at one point in time I you know, said like, wow, you're getting it done really quickly. Uh, and then you're just like using the exercise room. I was like, yeah, I was told I could like, that was one of the, the, the perks of working here was access to the exercise room, uh, when I'm done with my work, you know, before my time is up. And I went, well, if you finish your work, we can always give you more work to do. I was like, yes, you could. And let's discuss that, you know, along with the raise that you're going to give me with that. Um, and the response was, well, no, you're not going to get paid more. I go, well, all right, then, then I'll just do the same amount of work. I'll just, I'll just work slower. Right. <laughs> and, and so they chose not to take advantage of that. Um, and so my work pay slowed, right. Instead of, instead of finishing the job in, uh, in, in, in an hour, right. I finished it. I took all two hours, right. It took me twice as long to get stuff done and they got less done, uh, because they weren't willing to pay for it. But at no point, <coughs> at no point in that, did I feel like a wage slave? Like I, I had no bargaining, even if it was a low paying job, right. I didn't feel like I had no bargaining power and I had to bend to their will, you know, take a knee at the, at the behest of management and do exactly what they say, you know, no, you know, eventually, uh, we parted ways because they knew uh, that I couldn't be controlled or manipulated in such a fashion. And imagine a world where no worker that they hired could be controlled or manipulated in such a fashion. How difficult would it have been for them uh, to maintain employees uh, if, they, if their attempts to control and manipulate and to hold the working man down uh, was thwarted at every, at every turn? Um, because that's just not how a business should operate, right? Just like we talked about earlier with, you know, capitalists using the state uh, to hold off competition, you know, to, to exclude out competition, right? That goes for workers as well, right? Other people would pay better. Uh, companies that, you know, treated workers right will get the valuable employees and their company would have eventually failed. Um, but since current workers, uh, unlike myself, are stuck in the mindset, the mind frame, that they are wage slaves, and you know that they're uh, that that they're coerced by nature and coerced by poverty to bend the knee and be a wage slave to these companies, to these corporations, to these you know capitalist business owners. Uh, that they are no longer in control of their destiny, right? Like they they can't do it because ah, if I quit my job, then I starve. Well, probably not true, right? You can you can go a little bit. You can get some charity. You can get some help. Uh, you know, if you're a decent enough human being, you'll have some friends or some family members willing to assist you as you go through that and either, you know, require you to pay it back or in some cases pay it forward uh, once you get, you know, once you get going again. But you got to be a decent person uh, and you can't have that, you know, that defeatist attitude, that defeatist mindset. Uh, so all this talk about, you know, equality inequality, um, 
should go out the window if you realize that, yes, you are unequal, um, but your value is what it is, right? And you can set the value of your labor at whatever you want and then only do the jobs that, re- that meet their requirement, right? Um, I was talking with a, another friend on Facebook, you know, like, you know, what would you sell like an hour of your labor for? I go, well, it depends what the job is, right? I, it's, it's a flexible scale, man. If it's an hour of like hard back-breaking labor, it's going to be a lot more uh, than like maybe reviewing a movie, right? And if I, if I got paid by the hour to do movie reviews, um, I might charge a little bit less uh, because I don't, you know, it's it's not that time-consuming. It's not that labor-consuming. Um, and I might enjoy it above and beyond. Would it be nice to get paid like millions of dollars to do that easy work? Sure. Um, but would I charge that much for a friend? No, not so much. Um, but if you were like, no, we're going to go dig a ditch out back and we got to hammer some rocks and build a fort or whatever it happens to be, uh, then yeah, you know, my, my rate goes up, uh, substantially for, 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 for the heart of the labor. Uh, and, and there's good too, right? if you want to make $15 an hour minimum wage, whatever, uh, you're going to, you're going to have to put in like $15 an hour of labor, whatever that looks like. Um, but you're not going to be able to get paid fifteen dollars an uh, an hour to do a job that can be done for seven dollars an hour, right? In labor, that's that's where the the misalignment comes in. And the the, the other part uh, in the article where they said the unequal uh, in labor output, same thing, right? Um, my labor is more valuable than some, and some people's labors are more valuable than mine, right? The 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 people who have trades, uh, the plumbers, the mechanics. Um, you know, the, the electricians, the attorneys even, right. They, they're able to charge substantially more, uh, for, for an hour of their labor than I am. Um, mostly because I don't have a specialty, right? I'm a jack of all, whatever you need me to do. Uh, I can do it decently better above average, better than most, uh, but not as good as an expert, right? I can, I can do lots of things, uh, but not at the expert level. So I don't get expert pay for any of it, but I, but I can do more. Right, like I'm, I'm more valuable in a general purpose setting uh, than than someone who has a, a specialty like you know, welding or, or carpentry or whatever. But masters of those get paid the master level, and, and but I don't, I don't complain, I don't cry, I don't you know blame society in general uh, for my shortcomings in those areas as a master, uh, it's because I know that I didn't put in the time, the effort, the energy, uh, to master those things. And could I? Absolutely. Could I have in the past? Absolutely. I take full responsibility for the choices not to, and for the path that I I'm currently on. Uh, I don't blame anybody else. I don't blame society. I don't blame nature. I'm not coerced by those things. Um, and I accept the, the inequalities that come along with it. And I like the inequalities that come along with it as well, right? I mean, you have to celebrate those things. Wow, look at that. He's an expert, uh, you know, at carpentry. Maybe if I ever need something built that requires wood, uh, I can I can pay for his labor to do it because for a higher price, he'll do a much better job. Tattoo artists is another good one uh, because those people, you know, the better they are, the higher, the more they charge, but the better the artwork comes out, right? You, there's There's all the difference in the world between a garage tattoo, a hundred dollar tattoo and a thousand dollar tattoo. Uh, even if you're looking at the same source material, 
right? The, the, the people charging $1,000 have the skills and ability to do it much better than the people charging 100 uh, or less. You know, the, the, the friends who's just practicing, uh, you know, should be practicing on a pig, but practicing on you. So yeah, celebrate the inequalities, celebrate the differences, uh, because that's what separates uh, humanity from the robots. Moving on. All right, this is the last one that we'll likely do today, and because it's a uh, holiday themed, I'm glad we got it out in the middle here. Uh, give, don't govern. Philanthropy helps others, government controls them instead. This week, children may learn about that greedy man, Ebenezer Scrooge. Scrooge is selfish until ghosts scare him into thinking about others' well-beings, not just his own. Good for the ghosts. But the way Scrooge addresses others' needs matters. Today's advocates of equality, compassion, increased spending on education, healthcare, etc. say, We care, but demand that government do the work. Controlling other people with the power of the government doesn't prove you care. If you want to help the poor, clean the environment, improve the arts, great. Please do. Uh, but if you're compassionate, then you'll spend your own money on your vision. You will volunteer your work and encourage others to volunteer theirs by charity or commerce. You don't force others to do what you think is best. But government is not voluntary. Government has no money of its own. Whatever it gives away, it must first take from others through taxes. If you vote for redistribution of wealth, welfare benefits, new Medicare spending, or free education, you can tell yourself you're generous, but you're not. You're just forcing others to pay for programs you think might help. That's not generosity, that's control. The more programs you demand, the more controlling you are. In fact, you are worse than greedy old Ebenezer Scrooge. With Scrooge, people have a choice. They can work for Scrooge or quit. They can do business with someone else. Governments don't offer us choice. Governments say, comply or we will lock you up. Pay taxes and we will decide whom to help. No one may escape the master plan. Why then do people react to big government ideas as if they're generous instead of scary? Because most people don't think clearly about what it means to tell government to use force against their fellow citizens. They think about society the way their ancestors did. Our minds evolved tens of thousands of years ago when we lived in small groups of 50 to 200 people says humanprogress.org editor Marianne Tuppy. We would kill game, bring it back, share it. The idea of everyone getting an equal share still makes us feel warm and cozy. Some of you may feel the coziness this week, sharing a Christmas meal. Great. But remember that if you decide that society's resources should be redistributed, that's much more complex than passing meat around the family table. Seizing control of a big society's resources has unforeseen consequences, ripple effects that are hard to predict. Back in the cave, you stood a pretty good chance of noticing which hungry relative needed a bigger share of meat. In the tribe, that sort of central planning worked well enough. It doesn't work as well once the tribe numbers thousands or millions of people. No tribal elder knows enough to plan so many different people's lives. Today's politicians, for instance, don't know how many workers will be laid off if they raise taxes on Walmart. They don't know what innovation will never happen if they cap CEOs' salaries. They don't know how much wealth creation will be lost if they tax investors' money in order to fund another government program. 
Government's built-in ignorance explains how it could spend trillions on failed poverty programs and then respond to the failure by demanding more funds to continue the same programs. You stand a better chance of getting good results if you do real charity close to home where you can keep an eye on it and without coercing anyone else to do things your way. We can invent new ways to give each other. Uh, we can invent new ways to give to each other. Philanthropy evolves much the way markets do, harnessing new technologies and social networks that span the globe. Innovative ideas like microlending start in one kitchen. If they work, they grow. By contrast, government grows even when it doesn't work. It bosses people around, and even when it's not really helping them. Big hearts are a good thing. Big government is no substitute for them. End of the article. And I will close uh, by reiterating something that I've said many, many times in the past, uh, both on the show and in person to people. Uh, the mechanism matters, right? I don't. I I support most people's goals, uh, so long as the mechanisms, uh, the the how about doing their goal isn't coercive and, and government funded or sanctioned, right? I can support. I can support all the good causes. Uh, that you feel are are important in this world, uh, the environmental ones, the 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 uh, the homeless epidemic ones, like whatever it is, Black Lives Matter. Don't really care, right? If if it's your idea and you think it's a good idea and you're not willing to use the state, even if I disagree with the principles uh, or the outcomes you desire, right? As long as it's voluntary. I don't really care and I don't really care to stand in the way of you achieving those goals. It's those people that think their idea is so great, so precious that they require the use of force. They require the use of the state. They require the use of, you know, whatever government uh, they happen to be around uh, to coerce people, to threaten people, to steal from people in order to fund that I draw the line and I go, well, you may have a good idea there, uh, but wouldn't it be great to prove that it's a good idea? by not using the state uh, to fund it, right? If you, if you think that that needs to happen, ah, go ahead. Like, what's the, ch- what's the new charity you're starting, right? What are you doing to get people to donate to it? Um, and if you're not doing that, uh, then, then you've lost me already, right? If, if, it's, if it's shouting out, there ought to be a law and we need the government to take care of this, uh, then, then we can't talk anymore. Right, it's just you're, it's it's out the window, uh, in my book and in my mind, uh, because I don't want to use uh, coercion or violence or threats thereof to get people to do what I want. Uh, if your idea is good enough, it'll stand in the marketplace of ideas. Uh, if it requires the state, uh, then it's probably not a good idea, and you need to rethink that as well. Uh, and that will do it for me. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, you can know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, minds.com slash the anarchist experience. Uh, and if you like the sound of my voice and my voice alone, God damn it, uh, you can contribute to the show financially through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. And we or me uh, will talk to you all next week. Peace. <laughs>